Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for everything Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. Uh, today is going to be all football, no basketball or recruiting going on today. Uh, sorry for a little bit late of a of a airing because we had some technical difficulties at our studio. We uh, greatly appreciate WTKA's studio for letting us uh, do this and obviously fixing the technical difficulties we had on Friday. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull are on the phone lines with me. Um, should be a fun show. If you like what we have, feel free to subscribe. Of course, you can read all of our content. We're writing tons every single day as we lead up into football season at michigan.247sports.com. I highly re- recommend it, but of course, I'm a little biased. Uh, we'll start with some questions. We didn't get quite as many questions this week, but that's probably okay. It probably will become more of a of a segment of the show rather than driving the show. Uh, but we did get some off-topic questions, which we, of course, like to start our show out with. First one comes from Dizzo, who says, Do you ever wish you could attend a home football game as a fan instead of for your job? It's nice to get the press pass for the games, but it's also fun to tailgate with friends before and watch it from a fan perspective, too. And that's that's an interesting question. Uh, I guess I'll answer first. Uh, my answer, probably no. I mean, I have other sports I can go watch as, as a fan. Uh, you know, I was at a Tigers game last week, and you know, it, it's I, I get that it's a change of pace and it's fun to be relaxing, but uh, I, I get a little bored. You know, I actually like to be really engaged. I really like you know live tweeting the games, being on our message board. Uh, you know, really thinking analytically. I love doing. I mean, I I wouldn't do this job if I didn't love covering games in this sense. Tailgating. Uh, you know. I mean, technically, you know, depending on what time the game starts, you can do it. You just have to be smart about it and cut it off a lot sooner uh, than than your comrades. And uh, you know, there's we get enough off days and days off and have enough fun elsewhere. I don't particularly miss it. Uh, I know uh, I'm I'm a little bit more into the press box than than maybe other people are, but we get you know climate control, Wi-Fi, free food. So that that's really all I ever want when I'm watching sports, and so so I'm pretty happy with it. Steve, I know you went to one game that you weren't covering last season, so so I guess you you kind of have. But where do you stand with this question? Yeah, I I don't I don't miss it uh, big big time, uh, but I I think it's something to, that I'd like to experience every once in a while. Though uh, being in Iowa last year was a uh, uh, you know, it was a new place. I'd never been there anyway. And, uh, the, the Iowa city was hype. Uh, it was a really cool atmosphere. Uh, you know, obviously the game didn't I got a little razzing from my, uh, friends for the first game I attended, uh, in the stadium. And I think about four or five years and they lost ruined their undefeated season. Subsequently, uh, <laughs> was the beginning of a rough finish to the season. So, uh, you know, the people, same people believe in, uh, not saying a guy's pitching a no hitter through five innings. Um, I, I, I think there's there's still an allure to it though. Uh, I enjoy the electricity. Uh, I think there's I think there's it's tangible. Somehow you can feel it in in when a, in a full stadium. I don't know if it's just at night games or not, uh, but but I, I I like it. I wish I, I wish I could do it a little bit more. Although I agree with the climate control is actually a really underrated part of sitting in the press box, <laughs> even. Really though, even in the even in the press box, so I like where we sit. You know, we have that. We're in the second row, 
I love that spot because if you're in the bottom row in the press box and the sun is out, it can get pretty hot even in there. So uh, I like exactly where we're at. Uh, so I, I, I feel like we're pretty fortunate to uh, be second row press boxers. Uh, but yeah, I think there's something to the electricity of a stadium in a big game uh, that you uh, can't replicate, uh, obviously in the living room, no matter what your sound system or uh, just the game day experience as a whole. How about you, Isaiah? Well, I'm kind of in between because I, I really wouldn't trade my situation for anything. Uh, but because I, as many of many of our listeners might know, I'm on the field for games. I'm actually, you know, as their game day photographer, and I really, really enjoy being on the sideline. Kind of get the best of every world except for the climate control. That part can get a little bit rough late in the season. Uh, that Iowa game was one that it felt a felt a little bit rough. At least you you know you get to move around a bit but uh, get pretty bundled up down there. But just being able to being able to be close to the action, kind of feel what's uh, actually happening uh, near the sideline. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite memories of last season was I was standing very close to the Michigan bench, about as far over as you could get, uh, and I was next to Tom Brady at, at that Colorado game, and someone had said something about Michigan being, you know, being down as far as they were. And Brady is like, no, they got this. This is easy. And just being able to hear something like that and kind of get the the feeling on the sideline of how, you know, is the team feeling down? Do they feel like they're out of it? Do they feel like they are going to be able to come back, make make an impact? Just be around that energy, be closer to that energy. Uh, It's it's something that I kind of wouldn't trade for, you know, being even either – either in the stands or up in the press box. It's just kind of a surreal energy down there. Yeah, I, that's that's probably a fair argument. I've spent, you know, sometimes the last few minutes, they open it up to the rest of us to go to the sidelines, and it's it's definitely a really cool cool thing to see. I Yeah, I guess part of one thing I didn't mention is I don't really know what I would do if I was in the stands because I don't really, I, I don't root for Michigan. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's probably something a little different um for people that are that are on our board you know once you once you cover the team it's kind of weird to think about cheering it but anyway we got another similar you become, question you, you become numb sorry to interrupt but you become kind of numb to the actual yeah like i was at you know i, I yeah yeah so i was gonna say like i've being at the iowa game last year that's kind of it was kind of it was it because it had been so long for me since i had been in the stands uh, I didn't really know, you know, how I would react. You know, I went to Michigan. I was, you know, rooted like crazy when I was a student. Um, but then, you, yeah, you get out there and it's just a different approach uh, after you've been doing it in sort of, I guess, what you'd call a professional capacity for so long. So I, I think you're spot on. Uh, it really, it's it's a totally different perspective. So, uh, and, and a very interesting one. Yeah, and... Yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't think I could do it to be honest. But anyway, we'll move on. We got another question, similar one. What would you be doing if you couldn't do sports journalism? So you guys have actually had careers that weren't sport journalism. I had one business internship uh, after a career of lifeguarding and coaching, and it was really, really, really unfun. Uh, I certainly appreciated the opportunity, but. It was night and day. I was also running the sports section at the Daily at the time, and it was night and day which thing I cared more about, you know, because I would one one I would write, you know, spend five hours or stay up all night writing a story 
And then I'd go to work and just be like, I just want to leave and go write stories. So it became pretty clear nine to five life was not for me, uh, despite despite my degree. Um, I think if I wasn't doing sport journalism, it'd probably have to be involved in sports. I remember in school assignments and case studies, if they were involved with sports, I was like the leader and, and, and the best and the smartest. And if it was in food too, but if it was anything else, uh, I was completely jaded to it. I just did not care. I think, think I'd like to do, like to be outside too. Uh, I, I don't do that too much with my current job, but I have the flexibility to. And so probably something, you know, like a coaching as a side gig and then maybe like sports marketing. I don't know. It's hard to say without trying it, but definitely most thrilled with where I am right now because I like sports and I like writing and I like kind of the flexibility and the ability to create things. You know, if I'm crafting a story, it's a little bit more powerful than like filling out those TPS reports or something of that nature. So yeah, it'd, it'd be, it's tough to imagine. I don't think there's anything I'd be, be quite as happy in unless it paid like millions or something. Steve, I know, you know, in the pre-show, we had we had kind of similar answers about it. What 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 would you be doing if you were not running Michigan twenty four seven Sports dot com? My biggest thing was that it's it's I've been doing this so long now that it was kind of hard to wonder uh, what I would be doing when I was in when I was at Michigan. I wanted to go to law school it was kind of my biggest goal, and uh, I'm like thankful every single day that I never ended up going that route. Uh, I feel like my life would be completely different. Um, definitely not a cubicle guy. I did that for a short time, like in, with some accounting work and stuff. Uh, just mind-numbingly boring. Uh, you know that I don't. I, I think the thing I when we record when we tried recording last week, I think I said something like I would like to like do something where I'm like helping people in some way. I think there's a lot of gratification in doing something like that. Yeah. Uh, in some regard, you know, I don't really know how though. Uh, like I said, it was harder for me cause I've been doing this for about four, four years now. Uh, you know, it was harder to figure out like what I would do. I'll tell you what, I, I would never do it for a career, but the one job I do, I bartended for a long time. Uh, I really enjoyed doing that. Uh, you get to meet a lot of different people. Uh, it's, it's, it's enjoyable. Uh, the money's not as, is, is actually pretty good depending on where you're at. Uh, again, it wouldn't have been a career, but uh, that's a job that, uh, you know, if the right opportunity, I would do it once a week for fun, I guess, if I ever had the opportunity again, not for the money, obviously, but, uh, you know, I think it was a lot of fun. And, uh, but yeah, as far as like an actual career, I really, it's a very difficult question to answer because I'm pretty entrenched in what I'm doing now. You know, that's basically that bartending thing. That's actually what I was doing, uh, when I got to start here with uh 24 seven, uh, that was kind of a, what I wanted to, I, well, I, I got into it thinking that maybe I wanted to be in the food industry after having been in Hollywood for a while. I was obsessed with the food network and thought I wanted to open up like my own restaurant. And after a couple of years, uh, uh, in the, in the restaurant industry, I was like, eh, I don't know about this. Uh, it is fun to bartend and everything, but, uh, I think all the other stuff that goes along with it, maybe if you're working at just like a, a bar that only serves drinks, that would be a bit more fun, but the food element uh, kind of soured on that. Being uh, someone who 
has a film degree and was looking, I was looking for something a little bit more creative as well. When I started uh, doing my search in earnest for what I was going to do outside of, uh, of bartending. And I thought I wanted to be in kind of marketing to be able to, to be able to kind of use a little bit of the creativity that comes with uh, being in film production, uh, get to kind of oversee some of the uh, ads and things like that, uh, things of that nature that you would basically be able to produce in uh, different facets like that. So that's kind of where, where I was looking at it. It was maybe finding something where I'd be able to still be creative and, and be able to maybe utilize my film degree, be in some kind of film video type thing, and marketing seemed to have kind of all of that. But yeah, same thing as Steve. I kind of can't imagine this is kind of perfect, especially with the, as Zach also mentioned, being able to set your own schedule is pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> well, I'm sometimes and... a late riser, so it's because uh, I can't sleep, so it's uh, it, it makes that makes life a lot easier. Yeah, I love working from my bed. I know Isaiah just bought a desk this weekend. Um, I'm still I'm still team work from bed some of the time. Uh, we did get all right, so so that was BVA neck with that question. Dizzo asked us the first question. Uh, we have one first time poster six one four blue uh, says is Jalen Gill still a possibility? Do you think OSU Michigan game will be moved up? Play earlier in the year like Alabama LSU. I'll handle the second part. I'll let Steve get to the recruiting one. Uh, I I would be really surprised if they moved it up. I mean Auburn plays, Alabama plays Auburn last week of the season. I I assume that they're more a little bit more attached to that rivalry than the LSU game. Uh, and also I think yeah I don't know if it's really a protected rivalry. Um, just two two teams that play in the same division near each other. Uh, so I'd be very surprised if they moved it up. I don't think anyone really minds. I think TV likes it because. Moving forward, the odds are going to be pretty high that both of those teams are going to be in conference championship contention. So that game is going to, you know, it's it's a little different when both teams are one and one or three and zero oh in the conference versus like eight and zero oh and seven and one like last season. So I, I would assume they're just going to keep it at the end. I think people like it. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to move it up at some point, maybe to the week before Thanksgiving, just because. You know, student and fan involvement. A lot of people go out of town for Thanksgiving. Uh, I do wonder if maybe there's a little bit, a little bit of something there. Especially, I mean, they have to spend Thanksgiving preparing for the biggest game. But I'm guessing it doesn't get moved. Steve, uh, Jalen Gill, still a possibility. Probably not, right? No, not at all. Uh, Columbus native, committed to Ohio State for a long time. Uh, a, really a no option. Really wasn't before he committed. Uh, he vis- I think he visited Michigan once, I think. Uh, good kid, really nice kid. Uh, probably going to be a really good player for Ohio State, but uh, no, I mean, it would take something. I, I don't even know how drastic it would be because uh, if he was to ever reopen from Ohio State, I, I don't really think Michigan would be the necessarily the first option either, and, and he's not going to open things up from Ohio State. So, Nope. Probably a guy that even if Michigan had the upper hand in the rivalry or was recruiting better than Ohio State, probably wouldn't be a guy that Michigan would have gotten. I mean, it's just uh, really hard to pull uh, Columbus area kids out of, out of there to play for Michigan. Unless this is him, because we talked about this 
Last yeah, when we first tried recording, the six one four is the Columbus area code. So if that is Jalen Guild who's testing the waters, uh, <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Yeah. But anyway, we did get one more question, kind of similar to the to the moving the game up in the in the vein of are they going to change the traditions of college football? Uh, this one comes from M Rack M Junior Jr. So M R A C M J R. Uh, said, there are Michigan traditionalists and millennials. Why does it seem like the Michigan traditionalists are not a fan of neutral site games when those games bring national exposure to Michigan and give this team a sample of college football playoff game in a neutral site? So basically asking, you know, why why do some people not like it? Um, I I know St- I know where Steve stands, so I will let him take this argument because I think. I think we're all in agreement that we would prefer to see teams do home and homes just for the tradition. Uh, that said, I mean, there is something kind of neat. I, I don't think, you know, I don't think Michigan's gaining any exposure from this. Their games are on national TV anyways. They make more money from from home games than they would from a neutral site game. I think it's it's not it's a small difference, but I think it's they actually do make more money. I think the the big perk to neutral site games that I can gather is that it does something cool and unique and, and something that hasn't been done. I mean, it's really only done to shake up tradition. Like, I actually really like Notre Dame and Wisconsin. They're going to play one game at Lambeau, one game at Soldier Field in Chicago. Like, I like that because it's still close to the atmosphere. It's it's like a kind of neutral site, but almost not. Like, you, you assume Lambeau is going to be mostly Wisconsin fans. I don't love teams going across the country to play at stadiums, especially when it's like Michigan, Florida, you know, one year at the swamp, one year in Ann Arbor. That would be so cool. I mean, it, you know, so I don't know. I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to recreate a playoff atmosphere. I do think it is a big benefit as far as the general sport, but I think the specific fans of the teams get kind of hurt by it um, because they don't get to see the game near them. And also, I don't know, it's, the atmosphere is just going to be a little bit more sterile. Um, but if it, if it does get big teams to play each other, there is some benefit. But I would be surprised if Michigan does a neutral site game in the next 15 years because of what they have going on in Ann Arbor. Steve, what do you think about these neutral think, site games? I think they're dumb. Uh, it's, a, it's a lost recruiting opportunity for each school. Uh, the fans of each school are 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 the I want to say victims is kind of a strong, uh, but you know you got to travel each one each fan now each fan base has to travel so far now to watch their team play, uh, eliminating an opportunity for a lot of fans to be able to make it. Uh, I, I think it does nothing. You know, imagine Michigan. Um, well, just let's just play the other side of the coin. Imagine Florida's home school for them this year uh, if they got to kick off the season Michigan at home. I mean that's huge. That's some opportunity in Innsville for their fans, uh, their program uh, to help Big Ten power in, at their home field. And you know, say near that Florida was to come up uh, and play Big House. I mean, I think it. Uh, I I think they're terrible. I really do. I'm a staunch traditionalist in that regard. Same thing with the move the Michigan Ohio's game. I mean, it's just the even the thought of it's just stupid to me. Like tradition. That's what you know. Ohio State play when they've played, when they should play. There's no reason to change it. You know, and I do get the student aspect of that, but still, the place is going to be jam-packed every November. 
regardless of when they play it. So, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of the neutral site games at all. The first game I actually ever covered was Michigan-Alabama uh, at Cowboy Stadium, and uh, it was it was virtually, for Michigan, it was virtually a road game. Uh, the, you know, the distance from Tuscaloosa to Dallas, not nearly what it was uh, for those coming from Ann Arbor. Uh, I just... I just think it's really stupid. I think if you're going to do, you're going to play elite teams like that, do it home and home, like benefit the fans, benefit the people who, uh, you know, spend their paychecks on jerseys and shoes and shirts and stuff like that. Uh, and and they, like I said, the other thing too is the recruiting aspect. Both teams lose. Imagine Michigan hosting Florida for a season opener. That's a huge recruiting opportunity. They get tons of kids up there for that game. So uh, instead Recruits can go to these games. I know Luke Stampini and I, the Florida, our Florida affiliate, we're actually talking about it today. We aren't really sure how it works as far as recruiting goes. I mean, kids can go. I don't think schools can actually host anybody, though. Uh, so in that regard, you know, you lose some of the appeal. Like you looked at Ohio State playing Oklahoma last year. You know, I think they come to, I think they go to Columbus this year. That's an added uh, recruiting opportunity for Ohio State. You know, they get to host Oklahoma, probably be a night game. Uh, that'll get a ton of kids there. So, and I agree with you. I don't think Michigan under Manuel and, and Harbaugh, there's no way they're going to keep doing those types of games. So uh, I'm just not a fan of them at all. I'm in full agreement. You know, that's, I, I do think like this game is cool and everything, but I find myself, despite the fact that, you know, getting to, to go cover the game, getting to check out a stadium, you know, a giant, very pretty much iconic stadium at this point, even though it's a newer, newer one, you can't say that very often. Uh, I just don't. I don't feel like football season's really upon us because because the team's not opening, you know, either on the road at you know someplace like it's different when they go and play Utah, you know, at Utah, or but playing at a NFL stadium, which most of them are pretty bland and almost like that by design. They aren't these cathedrals that are meant to house the you know these great. Uh, traditional programs they're kind of meant to house these pretty much uh like mono teams really that are just kind of across the board basically the same that's kind of how i think of the nfl in general and i i think it'd be a little bit different if you're having a neutral site game lambo is different i think obviously because that's a lot more like a college stadium i think if you had like a neutral site game at like the cotton bowl someone asked me uh, in my uh, in my VIP chat about uh, wh- where would I want to see a, a neutral site game. I think seeing a team like Oklahoma at the Cotton Bowl would be kind of an exception, or Texas at the Cotton Bowl would be an exception at the original one. But outside of that, you start to you start to lose what actually makes college football great. That's the you know getting to see these these great cathedrals built for the game that have been around for. You know, in some cases, a hundred years, and you know, are right there on campus. It's, it has a lot more tied into it than just being a place that a bunch of guys built to try to get a bunch, you know, a bunch of people in to see a fifty-three man team take on another one that's pretty much identical. Yeah, I think you got to be it, like something like uh, I'm trying to think what are good examples like Purdue, Indiana at in, in Indianapolis or something like you know where it's like pretty close to both schools. I think Florida and Florida State might have played neutral site game in Jacksonville or something. You know, that's not the no, worst thing. That's Georgia. Florida and Georgia. That was the one I was going to say. Oh, like, that's okay. 
Yeah. That game in or the River Rivalry, Red River Rivalry, which Isaiah had already mentioned, Oklahoma and Texas yeah. playing at the Cotton Bowl. Like those are those are neutral site games that have become traditions. Yeah. Those are fine. But trying to fit a square peg in a round hole by matching teams up like that, uh yeah, I I mean I do I think the I think the Wisconsin Notre Dame one is is close. I still uh I don't know, maybe it's because I cover more recruiting. I just I always look at them as lost recruiting opportunities because you can't you don't get that chance to host guys on campus, get to show them what your program is really all about. Yeah, uh, they really comes down to just how does the product look on the field, which is important. But you could do that at home too, while also you know showing them all the other things that make your program great. Yeah. Well, we appreciate the questions we got this week. You can, if you want to ask questions, uh, you know, be sure to. Become a member at michigan.247sports.com slash board, and we will we'll field questions if as long as we don't have technical difficulties about a day before the podcast is recorded, and then we, we answer them. Uh, so appreciate those. But now we can talk a little bit about some of the series that we've been doing. We'll start with the most important players series, which which was a fun one. I think uh, you know our, our readers really appreciated it. It's a different way to break down the season instead of just saying here are the best players or here is every player you know we could do something where it's like okay these are the people that are really going to factor into whether this team is good or not Uh, michigan.247sports.com is where you can find that story our top four our top five was uh Rashawn Gary number one who was number two Wilton Spate number two Mason Cole number three, Mo Hurst number four, and Chris Evans number five, and we'll we'll run through the top twenty-five. Uh, we'll, we won't name them all, but but you guys kind of remember the list. And I'm curious who Steve will start. With, or actually, we'll mix it up. Isaiah, we'll start with you. Who was too low? Who was too high? And other standout notable things on the list. Uh, what 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 stood out to you? Well, I think one of the big ones is, and I'm as much at fault as anyone because I'm pretty sure I didn't vote him in my top 25 ballot, uh, is not including Karan Higdon. Just having heard from, you know, talking to some of my guys uh, about how fall camp has gone, it sounds like he's doing a really good job. And I think his his uh, the lack of inclusion in, in, our, in the top 25, probably a mistake. I think he's going to definitely play, play a pretty big role uh, in the offense. Uh, I, I would say, like even like a just maybe even the fact that we didn't include Grant Perry. I know when we did the voting, it was kind of up in the air as to how things were going to shake out for him. Uh, we have the uh, the freshman wide receivers and Kakoa Crawford uh, listed in the top twenty-five, but we don't have Grant Perry. Uh, I know I personally didn't vote for him didn't, to be in it strictly because I didn't know if he was going to be able to play or not uh, at the time that we did, uh, that we compiled the list and everything. But he's Michigan's leading returning receiver. He's got an opportunity to really, to you know, to really make a statement. And I think that uh, I don't think he's going to have lost very much considering he's, he's, had, he's worked off, out with the team all summer. He had a little bit of uh, suspension there in the spring and everything, but he's you know, been able to, as far as I know, been able to get kind of back up to speed. That's probably my biggest takeaway, or kind of what we, what we didn't get to, and probably should have. And like I said, I'm 
as at fault as anyone in that because uh, I know I didn't vote for those guys. Steve, my how biggest, about you? Yeah. Yeah. No, my biggest thing was, uh, I mean, he is ranked number four, but I think Mohurst has to be number one or number two just because there's no depth, proven depth behind him in the middle. Uh, if he was to if he was to be injured or was to miss some time this year for whatever reason, I think it's really really going to hurt Michigan's ability to stop the run. Um, and also, obviously, he's a, probably he could be the best interior pass rusher in the country. Really, uh, just no depth behind him. I would have him one or two. Uh, I do think probably Spate and Gary are probably the other two. I think have to be probably would comprise my top three. Uh, the other one that really stood out to me personally was I would probably and I've been as guilty as hyping up Ty Wheatley Jr. as anybody has but I'd probably move Ian Bunting up a little bit further and Wheatley a little bit back I think we had Wheatley at 12 and Bunting somewhere lower like 20 or uh where's he 22 I'd probably sandwich those guys a little bit closer together uh in the same regard that we haven't talked enough about Wheatley or that we've talked a lot about Wheatley I don't think we've talked enough about Bunting I think he's been overlooked a little bit uh, just because I think he's been around a while, hasn't really produced a ton. Uh, I think he's a guy that could have a really good year for them. I think our wide receiver order is totally whacked up. Uh, I think Kakoa Crawford should be tops there for very similar reasons to uh, uh, Bunting. You know, as a guy, Peoples Jones, Black have the hype. They should, they will produce. I don't think it's a should. I think they'll produce to some extent. Uh, but Crawford's already been in the system for a year. I think he's getting overlooked in most circles uh, just because of all the hype around the, the all four of the freshmen uh, that are coming in at receiver. Uh, he's a guy who move up uh, Higdon the same. I feel the same way about Higdon too. Uh, I think Higdon is a guy, I don't know, probably closer to the top 15. Again, I would move Evans back a little bit just for that reason. I think Higdon is right there as far as, uh, as far as importance. I think Evans is going to be the number one guy, but Higdon is going to be really important. Uh, for how they run the ball, too. And uh, last guy, I guess Brian Monet, too. He's 13. I'd probably move him up for this kind of the same reasons for Hurst. Michigan's depth is just so thin in the middle defensively that those guys have to stay healthy. Uh, you know, maybe as the season progresses, you know, maybe Aubrey Solomon's ready or it could be a guy, you know, that, that if they could take some more snaps or give these guys a little bit of a rest. But I just think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Monet and Hurst to produce just because it's it's young, unproven talent uh, underneath them. Well, for the record, we we all we all voted. I don't think I think Steve is out of town, so he didn't get a vote. But I put Karan Higdon fifteenth. This was before we had heard the rumblings that he's having a really good fall camp. This was a month ago. So our listeners who are disagreeing with where we ranked people, keep that in mind. But yeah, you need you need a backup running back. Your backup running back is probably always going to be one of your top. 25 most important players. The receivers, yeah, it was kind of a little funky just because I think, you know, we had four receivers in our list and they were all kind of clumped between, what, 15 and 22. Uh, Oh, and we had Eddie McDoom as well. So it's, I think a lot of that was just because we don't know exactly who's going to start. I think you saw, um, you know, guys like Michael and Winu and Lavert Hill you know, if they end up winning the starting job, they probably move up a little bit based on positional needs. Uh, David Long in that category as well. But we just don't know if they're for sure going to start. So 
that's probably my thing. I would have I would have definitely had Higdon in there. I don't know. That top four is really. I don't know exactly what order I would put them in because you you obviously want Spate and Cole. Those are very important positions. But then the argument for Rashawn Gary that we made was that he has that chance to be like a like a top ten national player, like an All American, a you know Big Ten. You know he he had his potential and his ceiling are so high. And tapping into that will be a big factor into whether Michigan is, you know, what it could be or what, what we kind of think it'll be or what it could be or even even worse than that. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a mix between irreplaceability and maybe how far success from X player could take Michigan. Uh, it was a fun list. I hope I hope people enjoyed it. Interesting way to to break down the season. Uh, you know, and obviously you can agree or disagree, but seemed like most people when we did the polls, most people were kind of like, "Yeah, it seems seems about right. It's about what we wanted." But we, we did, I did another series, and it was I started out ranking Michigan by different position or Michigan's opponents, I should say, by different position groups, and then I started grading Michigan's opponents at those position groups. You know, taking a look, it, I thought it was a pretty thorough way to break down how where Michigan stands against various teams, and then got a lot of requests to grade Michigan. So I did my story, but we are going to do it here as well. We're going to grade Michigan position by position, what we think that is, and I think it can be a mix of where they are right now, but you should also factor in projecting. You know, if you think if you think someone's going to have a big season. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do that. So we'll we'll try to try to bounce through them pretty quickly. Uh, quarterback is pretty simple. I don't think we need to name a breakout player there. I so quick thing about the grades, guys. Average NCAA average was probably about B minus C plus. That's that's kind of the curve I was doing. Uh, slightly stricter than the LSA curve, and way stricter than the huh. than the Ross School of Business curve. So I put quarterback A minus. I gave Ohio State and Penn State similar grades, although I did rank them higher than Michigan. I think Michigan, I put them third amongst their opponents. Wilton Spate, you look back and look at his numbers. He did fairly well against Colorado and Wisconsin, which are top 10 pass defenses. Struggled a lot against Iowa. And then Ohio State and Florida State, it kind of depends on how you interpret his injury and how he played through the injury. Um, but certainly his last three games of the season were his worst. Is A minus too high, uh, too low, or is that is that about where you would peg Spate? Uh, I'm on the borderline on this one, and I'm I've been one of Spate's biggest defenders for a long time. And by the way, Zach, how dare you give Trace McSorley any credit whatsoever for get out of here? No, 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 no. I deal with this. On on the radio show all the time, I deal with it in the con- comments. Not today, not yeah, today. All right, is, <laughs> how dare you? Um, I I I'd probably I would go. It's between a B plus and an A minus. Uh, when projection is included, I probably would lean more towards the A minus. Uh, I can't remember the last time a quarterback didn't take a big step forward in their second year under Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Spate's a guy who went from being halfway out the door at Michigan to 
winning nine games. I know he didn't win the game against Indiana. Uh, and I thought he played admirably against both Ohio State and Florida State. Uh, you know, you look back at uh, Jim Harbaugh saying that the, the play call they made in the end zone at Ohio State, I think it was the one that was a pick six, uh, was their worst play call of the entire year. Uh, I, I hear that, and I think you can't put that on spate too much. Uh, if it was, uh, you know, a designed play call that really was, it was, it was a terrible play call. It, was, it gave him no chance to make a play. Uh, you know, I, I thought he performed admirably in those situations. Uh, it was just, it's a pivotal year for him. Uh, it's really that simple. I think, you know, we'll learn if the critics were right or if they're wrong on him. Uh, I tend to lean that they're going to be wrong. Uh, even with a new set of cast of characters, uh, you know, in the passing game, uh, I, I I don't think people are looking at him enough as a as being a big plus that they have a starting quarterback finally coming back for the second year in a row. Uh, I think that's a really big feather in their cap, uh, especially to start off the season at a game like in a game against a team like Florida, uh, who's definitely going to be a formidable opponent uh, to say the least. So I think that's uh, I, I'd probably lean more towards a minus when we have to project it out. Yeah, I remember I was talking to Thomas Goldcamp yesterday, and he was talking, he's a Florida writer for us, and he was talking about the quarterback position. It made me realize Michigan fans probably don't realize how good they have it, that they have like an actual, you know, winning quarterback that can move the offense, whereas Florida has three guys, and you're kind of picking, you know, they'll probably be fine in the long run, but through camp, it's kind of been a pick-your-poison situation. Isaiah, where where do you stand with this quarterback ranking uh, I, I assume, I believe we talked about it and you agreed, but um, what's what's your stance? Uh, I About the exact same. I, I'll actually probably take it a step a little bit further and say more A- minus to A if you're really counting the projection. Uh, like, like you were saying about talking to Thomas Goldcamp, you know, I had those conversations at Big Ten Media Days with uh, Joel Klatt, Bruce Feldman, and Dave Wanstead about uh, the state of Michigan football, and that's a having the returning quarterback was something they all three of them mentioned, especially something that Joel Klatt really uh, being a former quarterback himself, he really was very bullish on Spate's ability and what he brings to the table and being able to make that jump. I think we saw before the injury, we definitely saw Spate save for that Iowa game. Uh, Seemed like he was on the up and up and Harbaugh was kind of starting his trying to jumpstart his Heisman campaign, which might have been a little little more than a little premature, to be honest. But, you know, we see, like, halves like he had against Maryland. He seemed to be kind of putting it all together. He, I don't remember the exact number, but before his injury, he was somewhere around, like, 67% passing. He he really seemed like he was kind of putting it all together. And Do you want the know, uh, before injury numbers? Uh, if you have them readily available. Yep, 149 of 231, for so 64.5%. For 2,053 yards, 228.1 per game, 15 touchdowns and two interceptions. So pretty pretty strong efficiency. I mean, you you consider that if he stays healthy, you, you would assume that he'd come back from, you know, be able to come back and, you know, continue to, to put up higher numbers. I mean, he had a pretty, he had an okay game save for the interceptions and the fumble against Ohio State. Uh, obviously, it wasn't his normal type of game since they were really trying to get the ball out quickly, but I I, I see him really taking that next step. I, I think that people are putting too much on the spring game. I think they were throwing a ton at him uh, purposefully. 
the the winds were really swirling down there on top of it. And, you know, well, I mean, we'll obviously we'll know pretty quickly uh, against a really good Florida defense yeah. <laughs> and what he's able to do. But, yeah, I, I, I see him taking that step. Okay, moving on to running backs. I actually gave them probably a higher grade than I think most would, given that, you know, people from the outside might look at it and say, oh, they lost their running backs coach, they lost their starting running back who ran for almost 1,000 yards. Um, But I think you guys probably agree with me on this. Chris Evans, we've seen a lot to like about him, averaged 7 yards per carry on 88 attempts. Uh, you know, I, I think we, you know, we've heard really good things about Karan Higdon. He has that potential. And Ty Isaac, if he mentally puts things together, um, he's got a very unique skill set that might be might be hard to slow down as a third back option. Kareem Walker, Omari Samuels, we'll, we'll see what happens with them. So I ranked them fifth among opponents, but that's that's kind of misleading because Michigan plays a lot of really good running back units this season. Uh, so I gave them an A minus, and I, I put in one caveat, and I said, well, they, at some point, and this is perhaps more so on the offensive line, but at some point they have to figure out how to run against better run defenses because they average 2.8, 2.58 yards per carry and 102 rushing yards per game against top 45 run defenses, and against the bottom 85, they averaged 5.67, so well more than double yards per carry and 262 yards per game compared to 102 uh, in those games against bottom defenses. So I gave him an A- because I think the talent is there, uh, but something has to show up. Isaiah, what say you? Uh, the talent is definitely there. I'm going to go with a B partially. That's probably, like you said, it's probably not all their fault with the offensive line of it all. But I'm going to go with a B. They, they have a lot of guys that could do a lot of different things. Uh, one of the things I think the reason to be super optimistic, especially about Chris Evans, is uh, he's talked about a couple times. He mentioned it uh, last week on Friday about how he didn't really know all of his assignments last year. I mean, he didn't even he didn't even know this time last year how involved in the offense if he would be involved at all uh, for Michigan as a true freshman who just got here midsummer, and now now. He knows that he's, you know, he's probably going to be the guy. So he spent all, you know, the entire off season really making sure he knew not only, not only where to go when he actually gets the ball beyond a, a simple first read, but also trying to get more involved in blocking. And he's bulked up a bit. I think that's pretty huge. Higdon's always shown a little something as well, and especially, you know, having the ability to, to really kind of hit put the pedal to the metal once he gets going. I think he can definitely be a big boon. I think we need to talk about Ty Isaac more, honestly, considering I, he got a quick hook in the spring game, and to me that was kind of like, all right, we we know that he's solid. It seems like he's got – he every now and again you'll see, the, see him just bust something and you'll say, there's that five-star that I've been waiting on. And it seems like those plays are coming more and more, but – he doesn't ever seem like he gets the opportunity to really show it in games that he gets a goes, you know, went out there for only a couple plays here and there. And some games like the Iowa game, I really would have liked to see in a more, he had one, I think one carry for the nine yards and a touchdown. Uh, and then the rest of the guys, you know, we'll see it when it happens. Kareem Walker obviously could be that Devian Smith type. And, but as a whole, it's going to be kind of more of a believe it when we see it. That's why I'll, I'll give him a B. Okay, that's fair. And one thing to note 
and you kind of mentioned it, Chris Evans knowing more plays and being used in more plays, that's also going to help the run game be a little less predictable. It's not, you know, I think we saw Iowa and Ohio State especially kind of, it almost seemed like they knew roughly what the play was going to be, and that might have helped them a little bit. Steve, what do you make of this running back group? And, and we forgot to do it with myself and Isaiah, but what's one player that, are we predicting breakout players or are we saying who needs to break out? I guess we can, we'll predict breakout players. Where do you stand, Steve? Uh, I mean, does Evans count as a breakout guy? I mean, because I I, I think, uh, you know, we had reported that a long time ago last year that, uh, that, that Evans, his, his play, his, uh, inclusion into games last season was more about Michigan feeling he was so dynamic that they just they needed to get the ball into his hands in some capacity. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about his his lack of really being able to soak in the playbook, not because he's not doesn't have the ability to obviously, but more just because uh, it was new. He, I mean, they recruited him as an athlete. It wasn't even a certainty he was going to be a running back until he you know until he got to campus and they got to work with him a little bit. So. Uh, I think he's got a. I mean, he has the vision, the consistent vision at the line that Devion Smith really lacked. Uh, Smith would show it at times, but at other times, I mean, he would miss Mack truck holes uh, that the line had had opened up for him. So, and also Evans too. And again, we talk. I think we may have covered this in the past. This is really where Michigan is going to miss Grant Newsom is Evans in the screen game uh, is potentially really really dangerous. And Newsom was so good at getting out to the edge and uh, kind of providing that uh, and setting the edge for Evans to uh, at least get past that first guy out in the edge. So uh, I got to pick Evans as the breakout guy. I think he's legit. Okay. Uh, you can see it in him. You could just see by the way he runs the ball that he knows what he's doing. It's just very, it's fluid. It's natural. Um, he's, you know, I think people saw that four, six, five this spring and, and gotten nervous, but I, I don't, I don't think that matters. Mike Hart, you know, that's, you always have to go back to Mike Hart. Uh, it's not about getting breaking it off for 60 or 70. It's about getting seven or eight consistently. And uh, I think Evans is their best chance to do that. Uh, I say that as somebody who is high on Karan Higdon. I always thought uh, he was a really underrated guy. When I thought that was a nice snag Michigan made uh, late in the 2015 cycle with him. Uh, Grade-wise, I'm going to go with, as a unit, as a whole, I'm going to go with a B-plus uh, with the potential for an A-minus, depending okay. Uh, I, I, I want to see what they do in the screen game, which I obviously believe fully counts for running back production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see, I want to see what they do in that regard. Uh, I think that can open up the running game a lot and, uh, don't forget fullback too. Uh, you know, we were talking, by the way, we have, to, there's a new rule. When we talk about Ben Mason from now on, we have to say Ben Mason, like Harbaugh did <laughs> on Monday in the press conference. I don't know if I've ever seen him get as excited about a guy as he did there, uh, whether it's Mason or Pogey or whoever, I think you'll see him run the ball inside a little bit more with the fullback and those traps uh, that they used to use Joe Carriage for uh, to great effect. And and that's another part of the running game uh, where they yeah. can really help. It can really open things up for everybody else. So I'm interested to see that, and I'm interested to see how often they go to the screen and in what in what ways they try to go to the screen because Evans is a guy uh, that could beat you in so many different ways. And you know, going back to yeah, with him being able to know the playbook a little bit better now, uh, I think that he's his potential is there to have a really really big season. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think you're right, and you're right on about the fullbacks. 
that gives them an element that most teams are not used to facing. I mean, you know, we'll see how it how it's utilized, but I think they can do, you know, especially I think, you know, the versatility that Khalid Hill has shown in pockets here and there. He he could be kind of an X factor for the offense. Moving on to receivers. So we've talked Wait, before, about this. Before we do real quick, yeah. I think that we need to mention a breakout player in Harbaugh impressions with Steve with the Ben Mason. Yeah. <laughs> kind of nailed that. Yep. It, it is. That's, it's, I, from now on, that's the only, on, at least on this podcast, uh, it can only be Ben Mason. That's <laughs> the only way we can say his name from now on. I, I haven't said it any other way since the interview. So, Gosh. Um, <laughs> have you been so, yeah. practicing that, haven't you? Yeah, he well, practiced. my buddy called 100%. me. My buddy called me after the press conference because he didn't know who Ben Mason was, and uh, I, you know, he's like, "Who's this? Who's this fullback that Harbaugh was talking about?" And I said, "Oh, you're talking about Ben Mason." And I said, "Like he's the, you know, he was one of the lowest ranked players in the class, uh, and a guy that, uh, like I said, I don't know if I've seen him get as visibly excited about somebody." Uh, I mean, in late, even later on in the Big Ten, when he interviewed with yeah, uh, a player, he would be proud to have fathered. That's such a yeah, Odd way to like, say you... I love this freshman fullback. Like... Right. <laughs> hey, how about a how about a gallery of Ben Mason compliments that Jim Harbaugh gave out on Monday? There's about four or five of them because yeah. he also <laughs> said he might as quickly becoming his favorite player uh, mm-hmm. on the team. So he would have liked to have fathered him. He's his favorite player on the team. He's Ben Mason, and then he also could help them win games as a freshman. Was another thing he said, which you rarely ever hear. So. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, interesting stuff. Yep. And he also said that we should interview him, and it would be a huge treat for us. A treat, yes. Yeah, so lots lots to like about Ben Mason. We're going to move on to receivers and tight ends, though. Keep the show moving. So we've talked about this a little bit. I'm much higher on the receivers and tight ends than I think most people are, especially since they lost Amara Darbo, J.U. Chesson, and Jake Butt uh, to the NFL draft. But I gave them a B plus, and I said they would be ranked fifth and so that I don't know where you guys stand with it but I do have one stat that I want to bring up they have had 26 four and five star receiver and tight end or just receiver recruits since 2000 so 17 years they've had 26 they've had seven in the last two classes so you're talking about you know they were averaging about one per season or 1.2 per season, and they've had three and a half each, of, you know, each of the past two seasons. So, I think, and I'm a little bit, I'm a believer in in the talent development that Pep Hamilton and Jim Harbaugh can can implement there. And we talked about tight ends before. I think they've got a lot of good things with Ian Bunting and Tyron Wheatley Jr. And then, you know, you go down the list. I mean, Sean McKeon. Zach Gentry, Nick Eubanks, they they aren't necessarily complete tight ends. They don't do everything, but they can do a lot of things that can make the passing game really dangerous. So I gave him a B plus. Steve, we'll let you go first this time. How would you grade the receivers and tight ends? Also knowing that they'll probably get better as the season goes on. Yeah, I'm at a, I'm at a for both units combined. I'm at I'm at probably about a B plus. I'm gonna I'm gonna make my controversial statement here. I really think Michigan could be better at the tight end position, even with the loss of Jake Butt this year. I controversial statement is not that. No, that's not even really my controversial statement. I, I think oh. that <laughs> I, 
I'm not Jake Butt's biggest value is that he was a really great safety valve in the passing game for Wilton Spate last year. I thought that was his biggest asset. Uh, I don't necessarily think he was a great blocker, uh, particularly in the run game. He got a lot better as the season went on last year, especially. Uh, but I don't think he was somebody they could rely on blocking too consistently and uh, was a guy. I feel like Michigan got really, they maxed out his talent in Ann Arbor, which I don't mean that as an insult at all. Jake's one of my favorite players I've ever covered, actually. Uh, but I think his play last year was indicative of what this staff can do at the position. And I think they have a lot of guys coming that have very much higher ceilings than that. Uh, Wheatley, the biggest one you have to point to uh, as a guy that if he figures it out, uh, man, you talk about having Ben, like if they love Ben Mason that much at fullback, if Michigan has a good full has good fullback production and has a great tight end that can block and receive, that's where I think this offense becomes super super dangerous. Because you alluded to it, Zach, when saying that uh, a lot of teams nowadays aren't used to having to check those positions, and it can and then you put dynamic athletes on the outside like Tariq Black, like Donovan Peoples Jones, Kakoa Crawford, uh, Grant Perry, even the emerging Oliver Martin, uh, Nate Johnson, Eddie McDoom. You get those guys out there, you have guys who are producing that tight end and fullback, running and receiving the ball. It's going to open up a lot of possibilities for the rest of the team. So I, I, think, I think the tight end production as a whole uh, really could be better this year. Uh, I think it does depend on Wheatley's development if he's turned into the guy that we think he can be. Uh, wide receiver-wise, I think it's going to be the most fun position to watch this year as far as like who steps up. Uh, there's so many, there's so much talent in that film room. A lot of it's young, historically. I mean, you're seeing more and more freshman receivers come in and make an impact at the college level, but it's still not, it's still far from a certainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you're playing against other teams, uh, you know, Tariq Black, Peoples Jones, the two names that we've heard for a while now. Tariq Black looked awesome in the spring game. Uh, we were on a podcast this morning with uh, Trio and Wilt Fung, the notorious B1G podcast. Uh, for 24-7 sports, and uh, Tariq Black looked like that at the Army game, too. You know, he had a great week. He's really looked good for a while now and uh, looks like a guy who really could make that impact. Peoples-Jones is, is, was Howard Griffith's biggest takeaway of the entire spring practice that Big Ten Network watched uh, on Friday. So, you know, there's tons of potential there. It's just it, it's, it's the one position where it's just it's hard to put – too many chips into assuming they're going to develop just because there's so many question marks. Yeah. Again, the talent, the talent is there, but just will it happen? When will it happen? Will it happen right away? Will it be halfway through the season? Uh, I agree with you. I think by the time October, November roll around, it'll be a very formidable unit. Uh, but how are they going to look at, I guess it, I guess it kind of comes down to Florida then. Cause if they beat Florida, uh, they should be in good shape heading into October, November. But um, you know, I, I just, a lot of question marks. I'm, I'm just going to stick with a B plus. Okay. Isaiah, I know you wrote this morning about how the tight ends aren't being talked about enough. Uh, as far as tight ends and receivers, what's what's the net grade you're giving them? Yeah, I'm going to go even a little bit higher than uh, than you guys uh, combined. Even though I still am very, you know, I, I it's a, it is a believe it when you see it moment, especially because you're talking about so much young talent who hasn't seen the field. Like not even barely saw the field, flat out hasn't. I'm gonna go ahead and give him a straight A because I am that firm of a believer in oh, wow. how much talent that they have. Uh, it's talking about the tight ends. We'll start there. Sean McCune, he, he's a guy where 
Tyrone Wheatley Jr., and I talked about this in my morning column, was Tyrone Wheatley Jr. told me over the summer he has the best mechanics of any tight end he's ever seen. Hmm. And as a guy who's grown up around football, you know, it's not like like he is just, you know, like Wheatley's just coming into the game and, and seeing it for the first time. This is, is this the position he plays. He's in a football family. That, to me, that was kind of a, like an amazing statement. Uh, Greg Fry yesterday talked to, you know, he just kind of mentions quickly and in passing about Nick Eubanks, and he's another player that we've heard has just got an, an intense athleticism. So to be able you know, to have those guys on top of, you know, we don't talk about Gentry. I forgot to even mention Gentry in there. Gentry is another guy who kind of has like the same frame as Ian Bunting. And, you know, he's, he's had a couple years at this position now. So, Question is 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 he going to be able to finally come in and, and make make a statement there because that could also be something where he'd be pretty hard in the passing game to defend when you have like a six seven six eight guy out there that that and Gentry's got some speed as well so that would be really interesting to see in the game but really Tyrone Wheatley that's he, he's undefendable I I call them kind of a Calvin Johnson at tight end really as far as He's got speed. He's got <laughs> size. He's basically how do you defend that, both in blocking and in passing? It's hmm. it's almost impossible if you can put it all together. At, at wide receiver, there's just almost too many options. So it's going to be a matter of who really steps up. Uh, uh, I know that some of these guys, the younger guys, haven't even had much of a chance. We saw that Oliver Martin play uh, in the video. Uh, he and Nico Collins are still just getting acclimated. They're only going essentially halftime in camp until this week because of classes. Mm-hmm. So now we're finally going to be able to see what they do. But, yeah, just to be able to hear things about Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black and what they've been able to do uh, already. And we forget already sometimes about how good Grant Perry's looked in games. Uh, Nate Johnson's a guy that our own Barton Simmons just raved and raved and raved about before he even ended up on any roster and said that some team's going to get a steal. Uh, he ends up at Michigan, and we at, we only saw him in like a quick spot moment at the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. So it'll be curious to see what he does. We've seen McDoom's speed. Nate Shanley, the the sophomore uh, walk on at wide receiver. He's a he's a guy that that'll be super interesting to see what he's able to do. And then yet after all of that, we don't even talk about the elder statesman at the position, which is Mo Ways, who has this like Braylon Edwards type body and goes out and snags all these one handed catches and uh pregame warm ups the last two years. So it'll be interesting to see who steps up, uh, because they've got so many options. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see especially with Spate now being kind of a leader at quarterback, if you see stat lines where you just have like seven guys that all have like really crazy numbers at the end of the year. Not crazy as in like what you would see from one, but take a look at like what Chesson did last year and maybe we'll see like five guys, five, six guys with those types of numbers. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Uh, straight A's is ambitious, but moving on uh, to the offensive line, we don't need to go into it too much. We kind of talked about it with the run game. Uh, Got to be... Got to be better against the better defenses in order for for the grade to be better. I gave them a B. Now, Michigan doesn't face a lot of great offensive lines this season, so they actually ended up fifth 
uh, you know, I'm, part of that's just because about half the teams Michigan faces are never going to match Michigan's talent at, at any specific unit. So I gave him a B. Uh, I think some of our listeners probably are ready to give him something much lower. Uh, I think we feel pretty good about the left side. Mason Cole, projected top 100 NFL draft pick. Ben Bredesen, I, I, I called him a budding star in the story. I'll stand by that. And then I think, you know, if Kugler beats out Ruiz or Ruiz beats out Kugler, I think whoever wins that will probably be just fine uh, at center. But then that right side is where things get tricky. Isaiah, we were there with Greg Fry yesterday. He talked about the right tackle position. Didn't talk about right guard per se. He's not the guard coach. Um, but where do you grade the offensive line and, and how much of that is dependent on or how much could that change based on who ends up emerging as the starter? Well, this is probably one of the hardest positions to grade because we really don't know what this is going to end up looking like in the end. At bringing in Greg Fry was a huge move by the staff, so uh, how much that helps improve the line uh, remains to be seen. But I would probably, I'd probably some somewhere around C to C plus to be honest. Uh, they have a potential to move up to be a. Uh, all the way up to B B plus. They, it's just it's such a question mark right now. And it, I you know I think on when he was gonna gonna get that right guard spot. Uh, but as far as I'm not sure if he's locked it down yet or not. Two weeks through camp, which you know, who knows if that's you know a matter of the cream rising or if it's still just that big of a question. I think you're spot on about the left side of the line. Uh, we already know that they're, the right tackle positions still is just a big question mark of which guy's going to end up being there. They've mentioned those three guys, yeah. Ryan Jr., Bushell Beatty, and uh, Nolan Ulysio. So uh, it's it's just a big question. I have I have no idea what to expect, and really they're going to be the, the engine uh, that really determines where this team goes this season, I think. Uh, yep. I think that's it, if they do well, Michigan has a chance to do something special despite all the youth. If they don't, well, we might be looking at a long season. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And Steve, we've talked about it, how maybe there's a chance with the athleticism and, and you know there's reports that it's been a little bit more powerful, the offensive line, and also maybe not being, you know, being a little younger, having a little bit more youthful energy, more youthful ambition might might benefit them. Uh, obviously, Isaiah did not listen to me at the beginning when I said national average is going to be B minus C plus and top fifteen units are going to be A's because he's giving. No, I, I, he's I giving heard you. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, then he's really sour on the offensive line. Are you are you closer to him? Or are you thinking that it'll be average? And then if something changes, then that's that's a surprise that it is. Uh, I'm I'm kind of sitting at a B. Uh, I think one of the most you know people on the board of asked us, you know, you only report good things uh, about what's going on at fall camp. I want to, I want to say this. I want to say the fact that Michael on has not seized that right guard job, uh, at least according to everything I know I've heard. And I think that what Isaiah has heard as well, that there's still some competition there. I think that's slightly disappointing. Uh, Cause I think his, his potential, there is zero doubt in my mind that the, the best unit, that this the best offensive line unit that this team could put out this year, at least the one with the highest ceiling, is one where Michael Unwin was playing right guard. Uh, and I say that as someone who's actually really high on Steven Spinellis too. 
uh, as a potential road grader uh, in the middle too. But on Wenu's potential is so immense. Uh, and I think, you know, not hearing that he's been dominant or that he's kind of taken that job and run with it, uh, I think is a little bit of a disappointment uh, because I've, I've been saying about, I, I look at this unit as a potential Ewing theory candidate as a subtra- addition by subtraction. You know, I think the, you talk about X out, uh, you look at Kalis, Nissen, Braden, um, you know, you kind of got what you were going to get out of those guys, at least out of the college level. So, um, you know, you bring in new blood and, uh, yeah, the right tackle, I think spot is, is obviously the most interesting and the one that's probably the biggest question mark. But if we say Wheatley Jr. puts it together at tight end, you have some help on that side, uh, you know, to maybe, you know, chip the end or at least, you know, maybe double team if necessary. I think right guard, I just, I, I want, if you're a Michigan fan, I think you want to see Michael Onwenu seize that job and take it and run with it because I think he has, you know, he's just unique. He's physically probably the most unique high school prospect I've ever covered. Uh, a guy that weighs in at 340, 350, but looks like he's like, 310, 315, um, and moves like a, a moves faster than what he weighs, or should move moves faster than he should uh, for what he weighs. So I'm going to go with a, a straight B. Uh, I, I feel like I'm a little less optimistic about the group than I was maybe uh, heading into the summer because again, I think it comes down to that. We you you ask around, ask like who's standing out, who are some you know noteworthy names. And uh, on Wenu hasn't really been one of them yet, uh, at least from the people I've talked to. So I, I think that's a slight disappointment um, in my eyes. Yeah, the left side should be good, and I totally agree on the Kugler Ruiz thing. Uh, whoever wins that job, Michigan, I think is fine at center this year. I think Kugler stepping up is is great uh, for the team. Uh, that was not necessarily expected, and uh, I think that's a great sign for the team. Again, you remember him in high school son of an offensive line coach, uh, highly, highly recruited guy, number one center in the country. Seemed like a no-brainer uh, to be a multi-year starter here. Hasn't quite put it together, um, but, uh, you know, I think he's in line to, to, to do something this year. Uh, whether I, I, I think he's going to win the job, and maybe Ruiz will be the guy to challenge Onwenu at right guard, but uh, that's, I don't know, that's what I think. I think Onwenu not seizing that job as much as I thought he might uh, has been maybe one of the bigger disappointments so far of the fall for me. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Well, well, let me run through my my thoughts and what I've written on the defense, and I'll let you guys break up the units however you like. So defensive line, I gave him an A. Uh, you know, Rashawn Gary, Mohurst, Chase Winovich, Brian Monet, probably instantly a top 15 unit. Depth is certainly a concern. Uh, but I, I'm a little. I think that the depth will actually end up being okay. Maybe not against Florida, uh, but but by the time they're playing Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Indiana and, and Minnesota as well, you know they've done a pretty good job of turning unheralded recruits into NFL draft picks and really sack hungry, aggressive players. Uh, Ryan Glasgow, Willie Henry come to mind. Chase Winovich, Mo Hurst also in that in that mold. And then they've got some guys that they're not used to having that kind of talent. Rashawn Gary and Aubrey Solomon, they really, they've had like good players and good recruits, of course, but I don't know if they've had someone quite like those two. Uh, biggest question there for me will be Brian Monet, but I ranked Michigan second among that group of Michigan's defensive lines they have to face. Ohio State gets the nod because I think they're going to be probably the best, my opinion, best unit of the country. 
Linebacker, I went ahead and gave him a B plus. That's kind of a, well, if they prove it, they prove it. Uh, but this is where I put him right now. Mike McCray, top 100 NFL draft prospect. Um, heard very, very good things about Devin Bush, Khalil Hudson, and now we're hearing really good things about the freshmen. This happened after I wrote this article, but that you know, guys like Josh Ross, Drew Singleton, Jordan Anthony are looking very good. I them as the fourth best linebacker core. A uh, little less experienced than Minnesota Michigan State, but I gave the nod to talent there. Defensive backs, I gave them a B. Uh, definitely a very mysterious position. They lost their corners. Uh, they lost their safeties outside of Tyree Kennel. Um, but we heard good things from Brian Smith yesterday saying that safeties are you know, stepping up. Josh Metellus along with Kendall are becoming leaders. So you, know, you can assume the unit will improve. It's just a matter of how much. So look at hearing those three grades and that breakdown, I guess, first of all, I want to I hear grades from each position rather succinctly, but then also what stood out to you that maybe I didn't mention or what player could be a breakout player that people aren't talking about enough. Isaiah, you can go first. Uh, yeah. Or, oh, all right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll start then with the defensive line. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with an a possibility with to be an a plus. I think they'll challenge Ohio state for being the best defensive line in the country. All depends on how that depth comes along. But at this time last year, we kind of were, we kind of weren't sure that the the backups were going to have the impact that they had. So I think that you're going to see a similar type situation. Breakout player, uh, I don't know if you can really call him a breakout player, but Chase Winovich, uh, I, I, considering that he isn't really on the national radar, I think he's very quickly going to be known, uh, considering the way he was able to play a lot last year. Uh, so yeah, I'll let uh, I'll let Steve go defensive line then. It's got to be an A, uh, just for the front four alone. Carlo Kemp, a guy that I'm keeping an eye on, too. Uh, somebody I really, really liked coming out of that class. Another one of those, hey, he doesn't play like in a loaded, high, uh, loaded state high school-wise, but the staff jumped on immediately, kept on him, beat Notre Dame for his services. Uh, I think he's a future leader for the defense. Uh, he's, he's a great player, but he's also got the intangibles, uh, a, a second string guy to kind of watch. You know, I think the guy they're going to miss most from last year is actually Chris Wormley and not Taco Charlton, because I think Gary can do what Charlton did, maybe even better. Uh, you know, Taco got really, really good at the end of last year. I think Gary can sustain that production throughout the season. Um, I think Wormley is a guy who uh, was so consistent, was great against the run, uh, was a leader. Uh, I think he's the guy whose presence they're going to miss. I, I, but i got to give him an A, though. And that's, again, Aubrey Solomon, Michael Dwumfor, two guys uh, that could really step up. Donovan Jeter, too. Again, not being talked about enough, in my opinion, as a first-year guy. Uh, wasn't as highly ranked as some of the other guys. Uh, Luigi Villain, another uh, guy who might rotate between linebacker, defensive end, or whatever physically ready, um, more than physically ready, and uh, another perfect fit uh, in Don Brown's defense. So, I, again, it, a lot of these positions are the same, right? There's tons and tons of talent. We just haven't seen it yet. Uh, but defensive yeah. line's one of the spots I feel most comfortable that some of that untapped talent, untapped potential uh, will come through. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit more sold on the linebackers the more 
we talk to and hear from players, not just because they say such and such is standing out at camp, but also because, you know, you look back and it's like, okay, well, this is a different kind of linebacker breed than Michigan had for, for a while there. I mean, they had a little bit more of the Wisconsin formula way back when with, you know, guys like Jake Ryan, Desmond Morgan, but it could be, and, and Ben Gideon as well. It could be, could be an interesting unit. Uh, we'll close with special teams. And so I gave them a B plus. I would be totally content changing that to an A minus. I think the unit will be solid. You know, number one, 2016 kicker per corn blue Quinn Nordine, number one, 2017 punter. Generally those recruiting rankings, as long as the scouts and analysts go in depth or like actually do their research, um, those usually translate into the college game, not just consistently, but quickly. You know, I mean, Eddie Pinheiro of Florida was the was tie, with Nordine as the number one kicker in 2016. He was a JUCO transfer, but his first season of kicking, he's like 21 of 25, 11 of 11 from, or 11 of, you know, 12 or 13 from 40 yards or more. So I expect that to translate well. Even And if someone beats them out, then that just means that it's even better for Michigan. Return game is a mystery, but they've, they've also got like, what, 10 guys athletic enough and, and elusive enough, so they just need the one that's going to be able to make the judgment call a fair catch, actually make the catch, not muff the punt, you know, actually read the blocks, read the field a little bit. I My guess, numbers-wise, I bet they find something. I also didn't factor this into when I ranked the opponents, but Michigan blocked 11 kicks and punts last season, which is absurd. And, you know, maybe they had a couple guys that they lost from that unit, but it's not like they were, you know, Khalil Hudson had two blocked punts and he's back. So it's not like it was just all these first stringers that are gone. Like they're going to, if they take it seriously, if, you know, if they take special teams in general as seriously as they used to, uh, this should probably be a top 20 unit once again. Uh, Steve, I, I don't know, is B plus too low or or do you think you think they still have some questions to answer? Uh if B plus is what you say comprises about a top twenty ish unit, top twenty five unit? Yeah, probably twenty to thirty. So so okay. I was thinking top fifteen is A, top twenty five is probably A minus, and then twenty five to thirty five or forty is probably B plus. Okay. Yeah, I, I in that if with that in mind, I'm gonna go with a I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with a B plus um, field position too. Uh, again, we talked about this before. I think one of Pepper's biggest assets, one of the best assets he brought to last year's team, was just strictly his ability to catch punts. Like they saved so many yards, yeah, on so many punts because he was able to get to the ball and catch it and secure it and you know fair catch or not or whatever. Um, Coaches notice that stuff. Special teams never gets talked enough about. Uh, Michigan has won the field position battle in the vast majority of their games under Harbaugh. Uh, they're one of the best teams in the country, both of the first two seasons, field position-wise, both in where they start and where the opposition starts. Uh, Kenny Allen was one of the most underrated players on the team last year as far as his consistency. You know, what he had to dud against Wisconsin, but at, besides that, one game uh, was money uh, all year long. And uh, Nordine has a bigger leg, but I want to see if it's accurate or not. So, uh, and then the punting game too, same idea. You know, I think Brad Robbins probably comes in and starts right away. I don't think they would have offered him a scholarship otherwise. 
Uh, and, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does as a first year guy there. So I'm going to go with B plus really, again, that was one of, I think that Jabril's value on special teams was so underrated. Um, not just as a threat to, to take the ball all the way back for a touchdown, but just his ability to, to not have, not let the ball bounce. And, uh, those yards add up after a while. And yeah. when you're playing in a close game and you're saving 10, 15 yards a pop, when your punt returner is able to get to the ball, uh, man, there's a lot of value in that. So, uh, you know, I'm sure they're hoping like crazy they can find someone that can even come close to doing what Jabril did in that regard last year. So uh, I'm going to go with a B plus. Okay. Isaiah? Yep. Yeah. Uh, about the same. Yeah, I think that I think B plus they have a chance to move to an A. Uh, if they can just set, set, basically simply find a, you know guys in the return game to do exactly like Steve said and be able to catch the ball, have that kind of awareness. Uh, I I have pretty good faith that they'll not necessarily be able to find a guy that is at the same level as Jabril, but someone that's maybe just a notch below. Uh, again, I, I think that Nordine and likely Brad Robbins are are good guys there. Uh, Long snapper, hearing good things both about Andrew Robinson and Cam Cheeseman. Yep. Uh, so I think you've you've got a pretty solid unit there. So yeah, it's all has to come together. Just again, have to see it. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty pretty common theme. Uh, but we had some fun projecting. I I definitely had fun breaking down the grades and kind of what to expect. I think the readers are enjoying it too. Or getting getting closer. 18 days away. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, you know, we did kind of. It's a, it's a very quick way to break down the entire team, but so I'm I'm curious anything that that you guys missed as far as a player that that you think we didn't talk enough about uh, in this situation or a position group maybe you want to change your grade something like that uh, I can go first give you time to think you know I I'm probably leaning toward where Isaiah's at with the offensive line you're right if they literally don't know what's going to happen. Not just who's going to play, but what's going to happen at two of the five positions. You know, they play enough good defensive lines that could potentially exploit that or where that could become a problem. Uh, so I probably, upon further review, I lower them to either B minus or C plus, kind of a coin flip in between. Uh, especially, as Steve pointed out, when I wrote this, I was kind of thinking Unwinu had made the strides because I think Tim Drevno said that, you know, he had and. He reports were that he was down, but you're right. If he has not cemented that job, um, not necessarily a cause for concern, but certainly means the offensive line isn't quite where the optimistic analyst was expecting it to be. What about you guys? We'll start with Steve. Something you want to modify, clarify, add to uh, from from this from this grade breakdown. Uh, I think Michigan is a completely another player. I think that Michigan's a completely different team this season if they break out is is Levert Hill. Um, again, so much potential there. Uh, a lot like his brother, we've talked about him a few times as being a really, really quiet, sort of unassuming kid. Uh, but the talent level is off the charts there if he puts it together. So really interested to see if he, same thing with Zunwenu, if he can seize that, cornerback job uh i think that's what the coaches are hoping for i think they're hoping that hill is one of the guys because he does have a much uh higher ceiling in my opinion than a lot of the guys on the roster uh at that spot if not maybe the highest ceiling of anybody Uh, i always said that david long has the highest floor uh but ceiling wise i think lavert hill has the highest at least uh it's got to be either him or ambry thomas so 
you know, I think hmm. I think that's one guy, one unit that I'm really. I mean, everyone's keeping an eye on it. It's one of the most intense battles this fall. It was in the spring and probably throughout the summer. So, uh, you know, I think they're a different team if Hill wins that job and plays, let's just say, plays uh, good football. Doesn't have to be great football, but just plays good football throughout the year. Okay. Interesting. Isaiah? Uh, I know I've talked about them both ad nauseum at this point, especially the last couple weeks, but Devin Bush and Khalil Hudson are just. It's, I just think that you're gonna, both of them are going to become stars in very short order. I don't think it's going to take very long at all. Uh, we've already seen flashes from them. I think Kalik can be an upgrade at the Viper position, essentially, over Peppers, just considering they have he has the skill set built more for just being at that you know in that position. I think and and Devin Bush is a guy that I've been hearing about since last year from my inside sources as a probably the best linebacker on the team. Uh, even back when he was a freshman, they just obviously wanted him to get acclimated uh, and get to know the playbook and get himself a little bit more under control. And you can see that that was still kind of what, you know, through what they were saying over the summer, Don Brown talking about him thinking he was a seasoned veteran. And they just wanted to make sure that he's ready for the responsibilities mm-hmm. they're giving him. And I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be lights out. I think, People are going to be amazed when they see these two guys on the field. Well, there you go. If you needed a breakdown of what to expect this season, that was about, well, we went long. It was over an hour and 20 minutes uh, for today's podcast, both looking at most important players and also the position groups. Uh, so hopefully hopefully you enjoyed it. We went long because of the technical difficulties. This will be this week's podcast. Last week, we'll count it as a week off. We will be back next week probably about midweek and it's going to be a fun one it's going to be season predictions we're also going to have maybe some some over unders or prop bets or other other fun things fun ways to break down the season uh might do something special as far as getting people to weigh in uh but anyway that's going to do it for the wolverine 24 7 podcast i believe this is episode seven we've had great feedback great uh listenership so far really appreciate that obviously we're this is kind of a pointless venture without our listeners so appreciate you guys for steve lorenz and isaiah hole i'm zach shaw this has been the wolverine 24 7 podcast hope you had fun hope you learned something and we'll see you next time